How many of you enjoyed the little kids doing their song? And, and they are reading and studying the Bible. And, and uh, just because they got an award today doesn't mean that's where they are. That means they've completed that. Some are uh, very close to completing uh, the actual next level. And so we praise the Lord uh, for that. I'll tell you what, you teach them to read and love the Bible when they're little. It will help them greatly overcome many battles as they get older. Of course, uh, this is the Sunday before the 4th of July. Everybody goes, yeah. You know, I wish there was as much excitement about the 4th of July as there is about the World Cup. Uh, The 4th of July, this is the 238th birthday of the United States. I don't think the World Cup's been around quite that long. Uh, nor has it given freedom to people, and uh, you can complain if you want, but this is still the freest nation on God's green earth. And we want to thank the Lord for what He has done and the blessings He has given us. And today, I'd like to preach on Independence Day. Now, I'm not going to preach it in the traditional sense, because I... Uh, really cannot preach the American Revolution uh, that's not in the Bible. Amen? And uh, what we're trying to do is, is uh, preach the Word of God. But how many of you understand enough about the history of the American Revolution to know that the truth in this book was the cornerstone of why men fought in the Revolution? And one of the doctrines that we hold dear as Baptists since the times of Christ, we call it the priesthood of the believer. That means that each individual is directly responsible to God for their relationship with God. That means that no other human being has the right or should interpose themselves between you and God. That is Bible doctrine, and historically, it is Baptist doctrine. Uh, Bible Baptist doctrine, we might say. There are more than one kind of Baptist. We're willing to admit that. Uh, and uh, we don't claim them all. Amen? Uh, we, uh, that's why our name is Open Door. That means anybody can come in. But we are a Bible Baptist church, and we make no apologies for that. And... Uh, This idea of individual freedom and responsibility is truly, it is the keystone, it is the cornerstone, it is the linchpin, whatever terminology you like to do, use, uh, but it is the foundation for our freedoms. And I, I looked up the word dependence in the dictionary. And it was interesting definition because I thought dependence means to depend on someone. But it actually means to hang on or to hang down from. And uh, the third definition is the relation of anything subordinate to that from which it holds or derives support, etc. The condition of a dependent subjection subordination, and then underneath it says opposite to 
independence. And um, the whole purpose here is, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Just wait a few minutes. We'll wander our way through the introduction and try to get there in good order. But we talk so much about freedom today that we have marred and perverted and completely corrupted what real freedom is. Uh, there are those who want to say the American Revolution was fought by uh, American colonial industrialists who were tired of oppressing of England. And that simply was not the case. You, you need to read some of the time uh, uh, period documents of what was done when the British hired troops and garrisoned them in people's homes. How would you like to be in your home, doing your business, and knock at the door, and six British soldiers walk in, sit down to your table, rummage through your pantry, eat anything you want, and begin to put their uh, sleeping mats uh, in different places of your home, and you lose all of your privacy and all of your possessions while they're in your home. Anybody like that idea? That's one of the reasons why the revolution was fought. Because the British were doing that on whole scale measure in any city that they sent their soldiers. Now, listen, that was the fair of the day. That's what soldiers normally did wherever they went. But don't you think it's time to change that? Amen? And that was part of what the revolution was fought over was the fact that just because we derive our support from England and we came from England doesn't mean that we need to be tyrannized by the same people. And yet today in our society, we've taken this ideal of freedom and literally turned it inside out. You see, what people want to be free from today is rules. You can't tell me what to do with my body. Isn't that one of the things you hear all the time? Well, excuse me, your boss tells you what to do with your body every day. Just try showing up to work without taking a shower for a week. What is your boss going to do? He'll fire you. Right? Uh, at least I hope they would. Uh, people tell, say, make all of these crazy statements. My favorite has always been and always will. I'm tired of all the rules and regulations. I'm joining the Marine Corps. I just love that. You talk about dumber than a box of rocks. Uh, they're not going to tell you what to do in the Marine Corps. They're going to tell you when to breathe. And when you can't. And they're going to tell you what to think and what you can't think. They're going to totally control you to the point to where you're not even your own person anymore. And if you do well, you're going to love every minute of it. You see, 
freedom from something means subjection to something else, does it not? The drug addict wanted freedom from reality. And now they're in bondage to drugs. I'll tell you what, let's, let's get back over here and become bondage to reality and forget about the slavery to drugs. There's, there, there's a vast difference between those two worlds. People want freedom from all the regulations and the moral constraints of society. And they become a slave and in bondage to lust and corruption of the deepest and most depraved types. You know, one preacher, it's been said many times, sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It will always cost you more than you have to pay. But in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, Paul put it best under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He said, for the wages of sin is what? Is death. Now, most of us have that verse memorized. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But do we know the context for that verse? Do we understand that it's not just one of those flaming little signposts stuck in the middle of the desert? It is actually a summary statement of everything that comes before it in that chapter. And I want us to start reading in verse 12 of Romans chapter 6. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not? That to whom you yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were, past tense, ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness." I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness in the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, we celebrate Independence Day, and I hope and pray that everyone here will make it to the 
uh, dinner we're going to have. We've got the Glory Bound Quartet with Heartland going to be with us, and they're going to be singing. We're going to start about 2 o'clock, and we'll get into all those details in a little bit. But Independence Day is a specific day. It's a day that the Declaration of Independence not actually was signed. That took several months to get that completed. But that is the day that it was adopted and, uh, and agreed on by the Continental Congress and said, this is our statement to the King of England. We, we've had enough. Uh, we want to remonstrate legally and lawfully. We have tried everything we know to do. But there is no remedy in continued subordination and dependence upon England. Therefore, we declare ourselves independent. That is a paraphrase of of the gist of the main points of the Declaration of Independence. Could I ask you if you've had a Declaration of Independence from sin in your life? You know what? You can't get saved over a period of time. It has to happen in a moment of time. When you make a declaration, the Bible says in Romans 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Now, you know something? That word Lord means something. It means that I am going to be subject to that He has dominion over me, that the Lord has the right to say what I will do and what I won't do. The name Jesus is a title as well as a name. It means salvation is of God. How many things did you trust in to get you to heaven before you got saved? Just stop and think about that. Some of you have said, well, I went to church and I was a good little boy. I was a good little girl. Excuse me. There's no such thing as a good little boy or a good little girl now, is there? Uh, When mom and dad are looking, yes. When the teacher's looking. But we've all done things. The Bible says we've all sinned. And when we sin, what happens? We become the servants of sin. How many of you have ever tried to cover something up? You know what? You can't cover up sin. It's uncoverable. It keeps coming to the surface. It's like trying to bury an empty tank. You know, these old gas stations and things, some guy got the bright idea... He says, we're not going to worry about EPA. We're just going to leave that tank in the ground. Well, guess what happens to an empty tank in the ground? There's water in the ground. And it floats right up out of the earth. And it breaks the pipes and spills its contents all over the place. Let me tell you something. It can stay buried a long time. But it's going to come up. It's got to. And the same is true of our sin. When we obey sin, look what it said here in verse 13. It says, let not sin, therefore... What's that next word in your Bible? Can anybody read it out loud? Say it out loud. Reign. 
Isn't that what kings do? Isn't that what the colonists were upset about? Was the king's reign over them? When is the last time we got upset about sin reigning in our mortal bodies? Dictating to us things that we do that we don't like to do. How many of you have ever done something wrong just because it's a habit? I mean, we all have, haven't we? You know, there's not one true alcoholic or drug addict that doesn't know that they're not in control of themselves anymore. There's not a one. Now, they can lie about it all they want. And most of them choose that way. Self-denial, just lying and pretending it doesn't happen. But the Bible, it just brings things out. When you choose sin... You choose to be under the dominion of sin, and sin always brings bondage. Sin wants dominion over you. Verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. If you are saved today, if you're under the lordship of Christ, you're not under the lordship of sin. Now, of course, the new faith that is being propagated today says you can have both. It doesn't work that way. Uh, God does not play games, my friend. And you can pretend all you want, but until you're willing to declare an Independence Day, I am no longer going to be subordinate I am no longer going to be supported by. I am no longer going to be held by sin. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you strong enough to do that by yourself? I mean, every once in a while, someone will come up with a song, and I know they really mean well. One was, uh, uh, I remember, I think... Uh, several of the church choirs sang it, and, and it, it was very popular for a while. And one of the phrases that just sticks in my mind is, uh, I am invincible. And I'm sitting here going, oh, no, you're not. Uh, oh, no, I'm not. Only God is invincible. The thing is, we can be made free from sin. But if you're going to be free from sin, then you're going to have to serve God. Those are your only two options. You can't go halfway. Every once in a while, someone will come by and they say, I I don't like the way you preach. Well, listen, this isn't the only church uh, in New York City. There's some other good independent Baptist churches with a little different attitude, maybe, and things. Uh, I remember Cleveland, we were there for just a few months and met a man and he said, I just can't stand that church. He said, I'm saved, I'm supposed to go to church, but I don't like the preacher. And I said, Brother Thompson is such a sweet, loving man. Some of you remember him preaching here. And, uh, and uh, so what I did was I said, listen, I said, you know you need to obey the Word of God. He says, yes. But I don't want to. I said, well, let me give you a list of other churches in the area. Good churches. 
I said, these are churches that preach and teach the Bible. They're not worldly. They're not teaching different ways of salvation. I said, you got to stick with something that teaches the Bible. He went, and the last I heard of that man, he was a deacon in the church, and he was the preacher's right-hand man. And God made him a perfect fit. You know how God makes us fit together? It's when we stop, when we surrender. I'm getting to point two here, but the idea is simply this. If I'm going to be free from sin, then I've got to be the servant of God. If I don't want to be the servant of God, if I don't want to do those things that God says to do, well, then you just need to be honest enough with yourself that you're not free from sin. You're serving sin. You know, one of the greatest sins in all the Bible is pride, is it not? One of the greatest sins, read Jesus' letters to the churches. You know what the depths of Satan are? It's where you have a church that says it's preaching the truth that isn't. False religion is as evil as it gets, my friend. And how many people are bound by what they believe is God and worshiping God and refuse to open their eyes to the truth that's in God's Word? You know, it's a sin. What is the first of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What's the second one? Thou shalt not worship, make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not worship any false gods. You see, verse 17 says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. You see, we're not just stuck here motionless. We're moving. If you're moving toward righteousness, guess what? there's going to be more righteousness in your life. If you're moving toward evil, guess what? It's going to grow. Now, unfortunately, we're much more accustomed to watching evil grow than we are to watching righteousness grow. And that's a tragedy. But what did Jesus say? He said, narrow is the way, and straight is the gate, and few... There be that find it. He told people that they needed to strive. That they needed to fight. That they needed to struggle to enter in at that straight gate. Because I'll tell you what, sin is a deceitful slave master, is it not? How many of you remember before you were saved, you tried to turn over a new leaf. You tried to straighten things out. And you thought you were doing so good. And then all of a sudden, one little series of events opened up and showed you how foolish and how sinful you really were. Has anybody else had that happen in their life? 
You see, Paul asked the question in verse 20. Well, he says, makes the statement, For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. I mean, stop, and sometimes we need to just stop and think. What did you accomplish before you were saved? And there are some people that have a great list of things that they did. But you need to understand something. No matter how great your accomplishments were in this world, they were attached to sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's where it's going. What did, uh, I think it was last words of Queen Elizabeth. My kingdom for another moment of life. What was Mother Teresa's last words? Not Maybe not her very last words, but as she knew she was dying and laying there, she said, I haven't done enough good works. They actually reported that on the news. And, and they've actually used that as part of her uh, qualifications for beatification and sainthood in, in the Roman Catholic system. I want to tell you something. That was a condemnation that her soul was not right with God. Nor could it ever be. Because you've got to declare independence from your sin that you might serve God. The Bible says you must call upon His name. Do you remember that day when you called upon the name of the Lord? That moment in time, that doesn't mean that we're not going to stumble, that we're not going to have difficulties. But what it says here, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life, because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We often quote that verse trying to help someone understand that they are on their way to hell and they're going to receive that death for which they've worked so hard unless they will lay aside their works and come to Jesus and get saved. But the true context of that verse is to encourage those that have already been saved to understand that there's nothing in the old world you left. Everything is in service for Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, you see, you've got to, you've got to have an independence day from sin. Amen? The day you come to Jesus and ask Him to save you, you declare His Lordship and His authority in your life. When you do that, He'll break the power of sin. But he's going to ask you to do some things. You know, he's going to ask you to show up at church. Why? Because you need to learn more about him. How are you going to be a servant if you never come and talk to him? 
He wants you to read this book. Amen? Do you think He might want you to turn off the cable once in a while? Pastor, you're meddling now. Well, I'm not watching it. I have no conviction in my conscience at all because I just don't have it. But let me tell you something. We can fill our minds with stuff that will hinder our service to Christ. That aren't really that bad. But if I'm going to be a servant under righteousness, there's some things that got to happen. Amen? Would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 21? And this here in Exodus chapter 21 is a living illustration of how we are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just start reading in verse 1. It says, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master hath given him a wife, and she hath borne him sons or daughters, the wife and the children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Now, people have read these verses here and have tried to charge God with unjustness and wanting to break up marriages and things. But let me ask you a question. Is marriage a thing that should be lightly entered into? No, it's pretty serious now, isn't it? Now, God had developed, a, a, instructed the children of Israel that if you were impoverished, if you could not support yourself, that you could sell your services for a period of seven years, but you only served six of those seven years. In the seventh year, you went out free, and, and that person who would hire you would be responsible for paying your debts. He would pay your debts off to the debtors and then you had to serve him for the next six years. He also had to provide you food and clothing. And uh, it says here, sometimes in the process of time, now if a man knew that he had other plans and he was leaving, would he marry a wife in the middle of this service knowing that he's just going to take off? That'd be a man of very poor character, would it not? And yet, if he made these agreements, there is a way that he could cement his service forever. He would say, I want to be, I willingly place my life 
in service to this man. He has been good to me. He has given me a wife. I have a family. My life is much better here than it is when I had control of my own circumstances. And they would take the man to a post in front of the judges. How many know what an awl is? It's a great big needle for sewing leather. And someone says, well, see here, there's earrings in the Bible. No, 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 no. It says he would bore it through. Means start up here and rip it all the way down to there. You know what would happen? Oh, you'd bleed. You'd hurt. But it would heal. Not a terrible uh, injury, but you would be scarred for life. Everybody that would look at you from that day forward would say, Hey, that guy loves his master. You know what? It didn't speak so much for the servant as it did for the master, did it not? And this was a living illustration when James, we're going through the book of James on, um, on uh, Sunday nights. And when James introduced himself as a servant of the Lord, this is what he was talking about. He was talking about someone who willingly surrendered his freedom to serve the Master. You know what the motivation was? Did you read it there in those words? He said, I love... My master, first. I love my wife and my children. I will not go out free. I am going to have a day of independence from self. And we spend most of the spring preaching on the death of self, that, that theme that runs all the way through the Bible. And how that when we don't get rid of self, we can't serve God. But when we get the victory over self, guess what? Service to God is a wonderful thing. You know, people could go and talk to this man and say, Listen, you, you were a young man when you made that decision. You, you really need to go back and consider this thing over again. You know what? Once you made the decision, it could not be made. It could not be unmade. Any more than you could, in those days, take the scar away. You see... That servant might be disobedient. He might not live up to that promise every day of the rest of his life. But guess what? There was a relationship there that could not be broken. He was identified as one who loved his master. He was identified as a man that no longer had control over his own life. It belonged to someone else.
Isn't that what you want Jesus to do? said, yeah, I, I, I want Jesus to be in control, but that doorpost thing, I, I don't know if I'm quite ready for that yet. Oh, wait a minute. Everything physical in the Bible has a spiritual application, does it not? How many of you have felt the Holy Spirit kind of ripping at your soul and, and marking you? And making you different than you were before. So that when people see you, they recognize not you, but your master. You see, he had to make this decision on a specific day and go before the judges of the city. And he had to be adjudicated that he was making this decision of his own free will. And there had to be people testify of his willingness to become this man's servant to the rest of his life. Now, we don't do that for somebody that gets saved. But what did Jesus say? By their fruits, he shall know them. By the marks of their life, by what their life is about, you're going to know them. If you don't have an Independence Day from sin, you're never going to get an Independence Day from self. You know, there's a cartoon. You know, it was one of those little comic strips. And, um, and the cartoon character was a great big Viking. And his wife was always getting on him about his weight. And said, you need to lose some weight. And, and he sits there and pats his belly in the little cartoon strip. And he says, but I take it with me everywhere. He said, it holds up my sword. He said, it's been my constant companion over the years. And the last little phrase is, by the way, let's go get something to eat. You know, that's the way we are with ourselves. We coddle ourselves. We, we like ourselves. If nobody else likes you, you like you. And there are people who say... No, I hate myself. The reason they do that is because they want to hear someone say, you're really not that bad. Yeah, no, no, I really am. Tell me more. It's just backwards pride. We are so full of self. There's no room for Christ. Amen? Oh, me? We, we need to stop depending on self. We need to stop being subordinate to being in subjection to, to being supported by ourself. Because Jesus wants to do all those things for you. You've got to be free from sin. And we know we won't be totally free until the day we're with Jesus. But let me tell you something. There's got to come that day where you call upon His name and seek His forgiveness. And He'll do it. There's got to come that time when you finally make that decision to go before God and say, God, whatever you need to do to me, I just want to be your servant. 
I don't even like thinking. And I read that verse of that all being born through that ear, and I'm sitting there going, Ah! I think I'd need somebody to hold me down to make that happen. But you know what? The struggles that go on in your spirit are much more real and just as painful as any of that. And if you're willing to surrender to the Lord, do you love Him? Will you not go out free? Will you surrender your decision-making process to Him? Tell you what, you'll find out this book is not near as complicated as it once was when you finally stop trying to live for self and let Jesus make the decisions. Amen? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter nine. We have to move quickly. Verse nineteen says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law. Being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I may gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I by, my, by all means that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. You see, you have to have an independence day from sin. You have to have an independence day from self. And if you like alliteration, you have to have an independence day from society. How many of you have been forced into doing something because everybody around you is doing it? Every one of us have been there at one time or another. Have we not? And yet, Paul said, I'm free from all men. Is not true freedom being able to make your own decisions in spite of what everybody else around you is doing? Would you not say that a man or a woman who could live that way would be more free than someone who has to get the next fashion catalog to find out what they're going to wear next week? Or has to uh, get the next tech magazine to find out what the new gadget is they're going to have to buy as soon as it comes out? I mean, people live like that, do they not? The Bible says, I'm free from all men. But I'm here to win people. Now, I'm glad God hasn't called me to Chile. Because there's just something in me that could never really get into soccer. It may have been my seventh grade phys ed teacher uh, who made us run up and down the field and watch that little ball just go different places. And about the only thing I did 
was uh, in those days you wore glasses and I would break my glasses when the ball hit me in the face. I mean, it just, soccer was not a pleasant experience for me and I have no desire to repeat it. Um, but if you're going to go to Chile, guess what? You better learn to like soccer. Uh, maybe that's why God called Brother Williams to Chile and his family and not me. Amen? And uh, let, me, let me tell you, people have used this passage to hold church services in bars. Well, we're becoming all things to all men. That's not what it says here, my friend. I become all things to all men. But look at verse 24. It's connected. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible Therefore so run, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached others, I myself should be a castaway. Being all things to all men does not mean we compromise the Word of God. God has some rules. There are things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. If I can reach more people, this is the argument. I can reach more people by having a rock concert on Sunday morning than you can by preaching. And you know what? It's borne out. They have bigger crowds than we do. But I want to challenge you, they're not reaching people. What did you leave in order to embrace Christ? Well, nothing. He he loves me as I am and I'm going to stay that way. Well, that's not the salvation the Bible has to offer, my friend. It doesn't work that way. When I surrender to Jesus and I get free from sin, that means that I am now free to serve Christ. When I surrender myself and I lose my independence, my dependence on myself, that means that Jesus is making the decisions. And when I stop depending on society and other people to tell me what is good and acceptable, guess what? I'm free from them so that I can make decisions to serve Christ. I remember having a man years ago, he said, but you've never been a drug addict. You can't help me. I said, wait a minute. That doesn't hold water, my friend. That doesn't make sense. If you were, and I've used this illustration many times, but if you were drowning in the East River, the last thing that you would want me to do is jump in to try to save you. Because now there'd be two people drowning in the East River. What you want me to do is plant my feet somewhere where I cannot be moved and throw you a line and pull you to shore. That, that is your only hope. And you know what? Christ has not called us to swim in the river of sin. 
to play in the muck and the mire and the filth and the degradation. He's called us to throw out the lifeline. Those are the rules. And let me tell you something. If we don't keep under, that was Paul's way of saying what we say in our cliche in modern English is I stay on top of it. Now, if you've ever been in a wrestling match, it's a whole lot easier to get the job done underneath than it is on top, usually. Uh, But the simple thing is, Paul says, I keep under, I'm staying in control here. Because if I don't keep my body in subjection, I could be a castaway. You know what? Every time I read that verse, it puts a little fear in my heart. It ought to put some fear in your heart. One of the reasons we're not going to camp is because a preacher upstate did this. And he's a castaway now. It's terrifying. It happens. And it could happen to every one of us. In fact, if we would stop and think, we could come up with a list of names of people who sat here in these pews and are gone now. I hope and pray their salvation decision was real. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing in that world outside those doors that's going to teach you how to serve Christ. There's nothing in that world out there that's going to help you be a better servant of Christ. There's nothing that world has to offer that's going to make you more free from sin than you are when you surrender to Jesus Christ. You know what? Some of us need to have an independence day from society and stop listening to the world in which we live. Some of us are still listening and dealing with self. You know what? Maybe you ought to just come to the altar and picture in your mind putting that all through your ear up against the doorpost and say, I'm done with self, Lord. It's got to be you. You know what? There's some people here that aren't saved today. You've got to get an independent state from sin first. And that happens when you come and you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. The Bible says thou shalt be saved. But if you're free from sin, guess what? God expects you to serve. Don't kid yourself. Jesus said there's going to be many in that day that are going to say unto me, Lord, Lord. You know what? They went through the motions. But it never really happened. I want to challenge you today. Those men that signed that Declaration of Independence... You ought to read the story of their lives. Several of them were harried to death by being chased and their goods plundered and their families uh, harassed and tortured by the British and those. And 
They lost everything, including their own lives. There's very few of them that did not suffer great privation of one sort or another. And what did Jesus say? He said, you're going to enter the kingdom with tribulation. But that's okay. Because you're going to enter the kingdom. Amen? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The servant said, I will not go out free. And the Apostle Paul said, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, I pray that we would allow the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see ourselves as we really are. To understand who and what we are. And Lord, I pray for those here today that are unsaved, that today would be their independence day from sin. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with self, that today would be the decision that is made to go to the judges and to surrender their life completely. Lord, We live in a world that needs the gospel so desperately. Lord, I pray that we would not dip the colors. That we would not compromise with the world trying to win the world. But we would remember that we must be free from the world to serve Christ. And Lord, maybe... We're just allowing our mind or our heart to stray from the truth that is in your word. That we would take that solemn warning of the Apostle Paul and draw close to you. And away from the world and the sin and all those things that would destroy us. Help us, Lord. That we may be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Brother Franz, if you come and lead us in the hymn of invitation. Only trust Him. That's how you get saved. That's how you live for the Lord. If you need to come, now is the time.